Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Roman Paschka, and I'm a host on the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Dean Brink, who is Associate Professor at the National Jiaotong University in Taiwan, and is also the author of uh, a book titled Japanese Poetry and Its Publics, From Colonial Taiwan to Fukushima, which was published by Routledge in 2018. Um, hello, Dean, and welcome. Well, thank you for interviewing me. Um, to start the interview, um, could you tell us a little bit about um, yourself? How did you um, become involved in this um, field? Well, I've, I've uh, gone back and forth between comparative literature and Japanese studies, and I love uh, literature in general. I, I dabble in writing poetry and science fiction stories. Uh, but I also, have, since uh, undergraduate, I've taken many courses in philosophy. And as a, a graduate student, I, I basically majored in philosophy. But I keep going back and forth between poetry and philosophy. And so poetry won out for a while. And uh, I, 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 um, another thing I can tell you is I began as a student of politics. But... It was during the Cold War. And so what I realized was the, the department, the Henry something Jackson Department of International Studies and uh, Politics at the University of Washington, where I, I started as an undergrad, uh, taught fiction rather than politics. It was basically the one side of the story. It was the American side. And it seemed to me that if it's political science, it should be more scientific, more objective. And so I ended up in the English department. But I never lost my, my political spirit and, and interest in politics and social justice issues, which really has guided me to this uh, work on, on Taiwan, uh, also known as the Orphan of Asia. And uh, so, uh, okay. Uh, so, if, if if you could tell us a little bit more about the uh, the book project, how did you come up with this um, um, idea for the book? It's about poetry, but it's also about politics. So, is it literary theory, or is it? Uh, by the way, the the book is uh, published uh, by Routledge in a series which is called Postcolonial Politics. So it seems to be included in this category rather than literary theory. And um, I was curious to know how, um, why is the book in this uh, series? Because the editor liked the idea for the book. And it's, it's a, Taiwan is a very interesting postcolonial object of study. And there hasn't been a lot done on it. And uh, for me, what I discovered was that 
When you're in Japan or working on Japanese materials within a so-called Japanese uh, system or tradition or whatever you want to call it, the intertextuality becomes very full, and, but full in the sense of an echo chamber. When you get to Taiwan and you realize that the, the uses of poetry are uh, for specific purposes and that there is no uh, echo chamber within Taiwan except for that imported in very specific uh, zones of relevance, both with respect to Japan and Taiwan, it becomes really interesting. And that's basically, that's why I, I went to uh, Taiwan. I was uh, there going through the library and I realized there's a lot of interesting materials in the newspapers on the microfiche at the uh, Taiwan University Library. And uh, so I decided to move there. And I found academic jobs right away. And, and I end up where I am now after about oh, eight years of bouncing around and uh, experiencing different parts of Taiwan. And uh, should I stop there? <laughs> so it all started with poetry for you. Right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And um, to um, move on to the uh, to the book, the discussion about the the book. So in the introduction, uh, you say that you actually examine how modern Japanese poetry um, has remained central to public life, uh, not only in Japan but also in its former colony of uh, of Taiwan. And um, I quote. Uh, so y you talk about, uh, I quote, uses of poetry shown not only to support colonialism and imperialism, emerging objectionable forms of um, exploitation, as well as the destruction of ecologies, but also to present a medium of resistance, a minor literature for registering protest, forming transnational affiliations, and promoting grassroots uh, democracy. So uh, poetry seems to have all these um, different um, uses, uh, right? And um, if you could tell us a little bit more about the, the structure of the book and... Um sure. Um, yeah, uh, exactly. And that's really what ties the book together. It's, it takes this question of how poetry has various public uses. Um, most of the examples I take are from newspapers. Um, and I, the... the, the, the um, the, the the theoretical um, in inroad that I my my, my gamble is that uh, the um, the the type of intertextuality that we experience in in Western poetry uh, needs needs to be rethought in Japanese poetry and within Japanese studies there's there's already in Japanese literary studies there's already a, a language. Of, uh, for uh, situating the uh, rhetorical devices, the, the poetic uh, devices that are that are in in play, um, but how to make these relevant to politics has yet to be established, and and so by t by taking these uh, different uh, figures within haiku and senyu. I was able to map how in haiku there's a very highly over not over determined exactly but codified 
matrices of association. And in the, the, the season word, the Kigo, but also uh, inherited from Waka, in the, the Engo, the associated words, and how basically every word that appears in the classical uh, anthologies, the imperial anthologies, are fair game in, in, in strictly speaking, in, in Waka for many generations. Now, Waka and Tonka have opened up, of course, and Haiku has opened up, and Senyu has always been opened up a, a lot to ordinary language. And so, uh, in trying to, to map these typologies, these intertextual uh, typologies, the typological inter intertextuality based on categories and uh, associations and so forth, there still is a question of how does this relate to specific ontological uh, situations. And so in Japan, uh, Tonka sometimes is taken serious in a political way and sometimes it's not. It's just taken as a, a practice, an art, and anyone who is political is engaging in a vulgar, vulgarized form of Tonka. And then you have a question of what to do with uh, poets like Tawaramachi, who is both very artistic and also in her own way, uh, both put, putting aside the questions of self-promotion and so forth, but also political in her own way. She can be political. And uh, it's actually from reading Tawaramachi uh, many years ago that I began to see this structure of commercialized poetry, public poetry, um, being uh, also very uh, uh, have, having these political implications and, and and so forth. But so so the introduction to this current book uh, speaks to ways of mapping, make, making poetry relevant. And I use Badiou, his his idea of poetic configurations. Uh, as a tr what he calls a truth condition, where you you grab a certain um, ling linguistic construct, a poem, and you you treat it as something that implicates worlds. To put it very simply, there's all sorts of distinction making and, and so forth. But it it, uh, um, it it forms a. This is I'm, I'm developing this for in the future work to to clarify this more, but. Um, the, the book, has, the structure of the book is it, it opens with a chapter talk, uh, exploring how the settlers, the Japanese settlers in Taiwan, use poetry at different steps in the first 20, 30 years to uh, promote a Japanese consciousness, positive acceptance of Japanese rule and acceptance of the, the names used for mountains even were codified in songs. And so this becomes a, a way you, of mapping very clear. I think the first chapter is the most important chapter. Uh, it's a way of mapping how in a colony, the Japanese couldn't rely on a already understood uh, associations and, and uses, but, but had to establish the possibility for using Japanese poetry in non-Japanese lands, oh. and and so I, I I start with quoting only the first chapter quotes mostly um, 
Japanese authors writing about poetry. And the second chapter focuses solely, or mostly, sometimes it's hard to tell by just the names. Um, they're not always famous poets. They're just people who send in their poems in the newspapers. Um, but it's mostly Taiwanese writers in chapter two. So it focuses on the transculturation and typological intertextuality from the point of view of Taiwanese. Questions of, you know, common questions of mimicry and, and, and these, these sort of things. And then chapter three is treats uh, poetry during the war by someone who died in Taiwan, but I never mentioned that in the book. And uh, one a very, um, uh, I don't want to get into Taiwanese politics, but uh, one critic said, what, you don't even mention that Yamakawa Hiroshi died in, in a bomb raid in, in Taiwan. Because that would have, to, in my mind, it's interesting as a fact, but it doesn't add anything to the fact that he wrote all these nationalist poems that are very interesting in, in, the, in the, the, the legacy of uh, in the line of the nativists writers go back to Kamono Mabuchi and so forth. And so I, I, I uh, was happy to work in some uh, nativist connections through and the Taiwanese connections in, in this, um, one of the first articles I published uh, for the, that made up some of the chapters in this book. This is one of the, the earliest works. So it do, doesn't fit in as smoothly. The first two, nice continuity, and then jumping to the last uh, chapters four, five, and six, these are post-war, contemporary, in fact, and treating uh, from the late 1960s uh, to the, the present. Okay, thank you. Uh, so even if um, there's something that you didn't write about in the book, you can talk about it during the interview. So <laughs> if there are other things that you didn't mention in the book but you want to talk about uh, during the interview, uh, feel free to do that. Now, uh, actually, I have a, uh, a question about the uh, chapter where you, uh, you discuss uh, Fukushima, the nuclear uh, disaster at, uh, at Fukushima. And in the, the last part of the chapter, uh, when you write the, uh, the conclusions, uh, you write, and I quote again, yet the most surprising revelation in this study has been how the colonial hyperobject and 311 or nuclear hyperobject create complex post-colonial possibilities for long-distance entanglement um, that do not relinquish authority to former colonizer or colonized, but acknowledge larger forces that allow a sort of equalization and resolution of past injustices, a new appreciation of residual commonality uh, born of the colonial apparatus, but shaped by recent disaster. And my question was, um, what are these larger forces uh, that you mentioned? And um, also, I think related to this, uh, in the same uh, paragraph at the end, at the very end of the paragraph, um, you mentioned a new ethical positioning. Um, and I was wondering if you could uh, give us more details about this ethical positioning. Sure. Um, I left that open for two reasons. One is there's no room the, the, the publisher didn't give me that many pages to go on and talk about post-humanism, but also because of uh, Taiwanese politics today, 
is so complicated. As you may know, everyone may know, uh, Taiwan is uh, right right now. Uh, has there's a lot of pressure from China. The return to that fold, if there ever was any fold to return to, since Taiwan has been uh, a colony for so long and and independent for so long. And uh, anyway, we'll, that's as long as I don't want to open that can of worms. Um, but the, the ethical, if you want to put it in very positive terms, I would say there are earthquakes in Japan all the time. There are earthquakes in Taiwan all the time. There are big earthquakes on in both Japan and Taiwan all the time. And we all always are the biggest donors to each other. I mean, we always help each other. And uh, just and I'm chapter four uh, and chapter five are about the Taiwan Kadan, the Taiwan Tonka Association, and and I, um, I, I I joined the association writing Tonka, uh, and it, with these elderly Taiwanese and a few younger Japanese as well, and uh, the, these are the people I learned about this from and these poems are not published in newspapers. There is a local Japanese newspaper that it's published in, but they don't get the exposure of the, the old newspapers in the colonial period. Um, these are published in an in-house journal and uh, on a website occasionally, and in sometimes in Japan too, there'll be exchanges and so forth, but it, it's more of a Japan friendship association as well as a Poetry Association, uh, and um, there's some a, a lot of uh, very political um, poetry written. Not all of the members, but a lot are uh, um, aware of the political situation and how we in Taiwan. I'm I'm Taiwanese citizen now. How we depend on uh, the 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 good the goodwill of Japanese support, American support, and support from everyone around the world um, to maintain our democracy. That's the one problem. We have a difference of opinion with China over democracy. And um, so ethical positioning, yeah, the openness, the hyperobject, it's the term from um, Timothy Morton. Uh, the idea is that there's something I, I disagree with the use of the term, by the way. It's something that you cannot understand, something so big that we, we cannot grasp it. I think everything can be grasped in parts, and there's nothing we grasp in whole. If you get down to the level of an atom, we cannot grasp an atom. The more we know, the more it slips away. And so I think the idea of the hyperobject is a, an excuse to put us into a sort of uh, hum, uh, uh, hum, humble positioning vis-a-vis -vis some hyperobject. But so it's a cop out in effect, and uh, rather than a, a cop out, to, to see that we have to choose what we care about rather than being too passive about things, I think is uh, the right direction for um, opening up new ethical possibilities vis-a-vis -vis all sorts of interaction, complex interactions in politics and weather, energy, uh, climate change, and go on and on. And um, is 
poetry one of the ways in which we can grasp this uh, this hyper object yes that's what I, I love about Japanese poetry it has an established form that's very easy to understand in haiku and senryu and tanka and these various uh, figures of, of speech of rhetorical figures that are present within it that have been reified in interesting ways in contemporary poetry and that is published on a daily basis in Japanese newspapers. This is, poetry is very powerful. Um, it's able to bring a clear, biting critiques uh, to, to issues that remain ambiguous. It functions very much like the political cartoons. And once you see a political cartoon, you, you can see things more clearly about a certain issue. It may be exaggerated. The scenario is certainly exaggerated. But it opens up channels of thought and congealed in very interesting, compressed ways that you can get a handle on immediately. This is the power, I believe, of poetry. Okay. Thank you. Um, if um, what, what I find absolutely fascinating about the the book is the fact that uh, you don't discuss um, Japanese poetry only Japanese poetry uh, written by Japanese poets, uh, but you also look at Taiwanese poets, and um, to my knowledge, this is something that has not really been done, right? Um, That's right. There's not a lot of research about Taiwanese um, poets writing Japanese uh, poetry, whether it's in uh, during the uh, colonial period or uh, recently. Yeah, that that's an interesting point um, because uh, there was even a book of translations of colonial era uh, tanka from Japanese into Chinese recently. It was the product of a, a, co a cooperation between a Taiwanese and a, and a Japanese, and even they excluded any poetry by Taiwanese, even though there were some, a couple of, especially, they were just extremely famous, very gifted poets, and they were just naturally excluded because they weren't Japanese. This, unfortunately, replicates a stereotype and that goes way back um, to the, at least to the, to the war and and uh, and uh, seeing the the, the Kotodama is only endowed in a sort of racial way, very odd. Also, the the, the stereotype that only Japanese people can write um, Japanese poetry, right? Or that even be... even speak Japanese. Okay. Um, also, in the um, in the introduction, um, I just remembered you mentioned a documentary. Uh, movie that is somehow connected with uh, with the book, writing the book. Uh, if you could um, tell us a little bit more about that documentary movie that you actually made in Taiwan, right? That's right. Yeah, that um, I it was a I think it was a three year project, and so it took me three years to get into the group because the group was not really happy. To see me, because remember, it's a it's a Taiwanese Japanese Fr Japanese Friendship Association, and uh, they were a little bit regu no kanjina, a little bit a um, little bit cold at first, but then they became very warm, and now I'm part of the group, and 
uh, like a permanent member, sort of permanent fixture. Although I, I, I don't always go because of uh, children. Um, but uh, yeah, the the book is called the um, what is it? What do I call it? The Rising Sun. Uh, the documentary, uh, Horizons of the Rising Sun, oh, yeah. <laughs> Postcolonial Nostalgia and Politics in the Taiwan Tanka Association today. Yeah. <laughs> so it's actually a, a documentary about that yep. uh, association and about you becoming a member of... Well, I no. didn't include that. No, okay. No, I, I mentioned that in one paragraph in the book, but in the documentary, it has mostly entirely new information in the documentary. Um, and it's personal interviews, and I, I asked political questions. I have very pointed questions, you know, basically, what do you feel about the colonial, the period, it's called the period of Japanese rule. You might think, well, they were occupiers, uh, but it's very, for political reasons, the descriptive term, period of Japanese rule, is preferred by most scholars. Um, and uh, so, so I asked them about their, their experiences, and I got a whole wide range of experience, people that were, you know, uh, talked about discrimination, um, most didn't talk about it, or very, very just in passing, but it definitely was there, of course, that you can't have a colony without discrimination. And then I asked about how they felt about the retrocession of the return of, of Taiwan to uh, China, which, and then you, you got a, you opened a whole bag of worms, and people, their, their politics came to the fore. Some, the former leader, uh, uh, especially talked about how uh, it was never, you know, Taiwan deciding, like Okinawa decided to, to be part of Japan, uh, Taiwan never got to decide what to be part of. And since when they were, during the uh, Qing dynasty, actually only half of the island was controlled by the Qing dynasty, the other half was controlled by Yenjumi, the, the aboriginal, indigenous peoples. So um, it's very complicated in many different levels. Um, and I also asked them about their, their feeling today uh, about um, Japan or Taiwan. Oh, yeah, and some, it was during the Sunflower Movement. So I asked them about the Sunflower Movement in some of the interviews. So the um, research and the field work that you, uh, you did um, for the documentary um, that was actually in conjunction with some parts of the book, right? Yes. That, so, yeah, it was the, um, they're actually, the Japanese government supported the, the research, not the Japanese, the, the Taiwanese government supported through the ministry, it was now called the Ministry of Science and Technology, um, the, the research on the political poetry during the colonial period, and then the contemporary poetry group, and they, they furnished the, um, made it possible for me to, to make the, the film. Okay. Uh, so, um, who is um, the book for? Is it for people who are interested in Japanese poetry? Is it for people in media studies? Um, and who? who? Well, uh, yeah, I think if I could give it to students in certain classes. It would be in Asian study classes, in Japanese literature classes, 
uh, Japanese studies classes. Um, uh, it, I, I, I developed a sort of fresh approach to Japanese poetry, and I, and I hope everyone who's interested in Japanese poetry will take the time to, to read it and whether they agree with it or not, and just see if it makes uh, sense or to them and yeah if you hate it it's fine <laughs> <laughs> okay so it's not just for uh, people who are uh, interested in uh, Japanese poetry but also for mm -hmm. um, other um, categories or uh, professions or even people in uh, poetics right well might be certainly in um, cultural historians or those who like to teach, I think those, anyone teaching Japanese history or East Asian history who likes to use examples from literature would find a goldmine of examples in this book. Yeah. And if there's one thing that you would like your readers to take away from the book, what would that be? What would be like the most, um, not important, but... Um, well, just that there are that Japanese poetry is very interesting and, and it's not about nature. It's, there's nothing natural about Japanese poetry. Everything natural is conventional. Okay? Anyone who writes Japanese poetry seriously, in Japanese at least, will have to know the, the, the way you're supposed to express yourself in certain situations. And it's, it's not based on experiencing nature and some sort of moment of insight that may be involved but you have to translate that moment using conventional phrases so there's a lot of pastiche involved and that, that pastiche gets substituted in interesting ways in senryu especially but in any modern more of the, the more free freestyled modern um traditionally traditional form poetry i'm not talking about free poetry free birth in japanese but uh You'll, you'll have a lot of uh, substitutions of this pattern of association with cur current events that make it political and interesting. And I, yeah, my research is all about exploring this as and what makes Japanese poetry important and relevant today, not because it speaks to some universal essentialist nature, blah, blah, blah. Not, not interested in that. Okay. And um, as somebody who lives in Japan um, and is worried about Fukushima and the consequences of the, uh, of the nuclear disaster, um, my question would be, what can um, Japanese poetry teach us about how to deal with such a nuclear disaster? Uh, how to deal, for example, um, not only with a disaster, but with its consequences, with um, uh, the tra tragic um, consequences of the uh, tsunami in uh, 2011. What do we find in uh, in Japanese uh, poetry? Can it mm, ooh, how, how how can it help us? That's that's a great question. You know, um, the, the other day, if I may be personal, I was. Uh, it was my my daughter was by me and I was watching something about the Fukushima disaster and I was crying. I couldn't stop crying, and she had never seen me cry. And I said, "If you don't cry when you see this, you're not human." And uh, and then later in the day there was a, not that I don't watch TV, but it just happened to 
I was absorbed by this this, this uh, depressing disaster that day was also this. I saw an episode of the Chernobyl HBO series, which has this has its very theme. That's why I can't help but mention. This is how media studies all come together with these big issues. Um, so the the theme of the Chernobyl was if you try to cover up the truth, it was about testing. Uh, it will lead to disaster. And I, I, in my study of Senryu dealing with, and also Tanka uh, dealing with the Fukushima disaster, uh, what it, what I found was that, like I mentioned before, uh, in a, in a way that parallels the use of uh, the, the uh, what do you call those um, political cartoons in in newspapers on that appear on a daily basis, but usually only one or two per day. In Japanese newspapers, you have between eight and what is it, ten or ten or twelve senryu in different newspapers appearing every day, um, and they they all won't live up to that intensity, but a lot of them will, and they'll pick apart the different news in the way that you can say uh, forces us to face truths that have been derealized. And in Fukushima, I think what it was derealized. It was that this was a disaster in the making. It was there were all these different uh, warnings made, and the company decided that it's better to save money. And this this is the same thing that the Soviet Union did in the Chernobyl, Chernobyl disaster in, in a round, more roundabout way. Um, so yes, poetry can remind us uh, of you know this this matters, and and uh, I don't know if it will change. People, but it, I think it has a, a nudging effect on society, I would call it. It helps us um, deal with the suffering and cope with um, reality, right? Y yes, on that level too. And yeah, I'm thinking more in terms of old politics. But yeah, poet poetry, th that's more tanka. Okay. The scenario is more peeping uh, criticism. And uh, Tonka can get into more emotional. Okay. Um, we're um, running out of time. We're approaching the end of the, uh, of the interview. But before, um, before we, uh, we finish, um, I have another, uh, another question for, uh, for you. What are you working on right now? What are your uh, future projects? If you, if you could tell us a few things about that. Oh, yes. Um, uh, well, I, as I mentioned, I, I like swing between philosophy and poetry. So I have one uh, book um, forthcoming. Uh, it's an introduc introduction, uh, shorter introduction uh, to uh, Nishida Kitaro, Tanami Hajime, Tosaka Jun, um, in terms of their uh, writings on the, in the philosophy of science, dealing basically with quantum mechanics and relativity. And, and so forth. Um, so that's I'm, I'm I'm translating huge huge uh, sections from all of these, and there's so much material, and it's been rendered invisible, it seems, by the emphasis on uh, their religious, more religious, spiritual writings and so forth. But I think it will add a dimension that will make those also uh, more interesting, hopefully too. And then I'm also working on finishing a work on uh, poetry. That develops this Baduian approach, and the, that began in Japanese poetry. But I'm using it to read 
poets as diverse as Amir Baraka, um, of course, uh, the, the, the poet, African American poet, well known for his uh, Somebody Blew Up America poem that causes a lot of controversy. And I'm trying to explain that controversy using this similar met methodology. And also John Ashbery, who um, I have a complicated sort of literary relationship with. And I, I found the Japanese approach also to be helpful to politicize or situate politically his poems, which are notoriously flat in terms of taking no position and negating with left hand what he writes with, blah, blah. So you're, you're working on um, a book on poetry and Japanese philosophy. Yes. Right? Yeah, my two loves. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Dean. Um, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for interviewing me. It's very nice. Uh, so this was our uh, interview with uh, Dean Brink, who is author of Japanese Poetry and Its Publics, From Colonial Taiwan to uh, Fukushima. Everybody, thanks for listening to New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. See you next time. <laughs>